16, and um, we won't go into a lengthy study this morning because we have lots of other things we want to cover, but uh, in Acts chapter 16, Paul the Apostle is sort of at a, a turning in his ministry, if you want to call it that, a transition point. In Acts 13, the church has set him apart, him and Barnabas, to be what we would call nowadays, we'd call them missionaries. And they sent him out to do the work that God had called him to do. And they did some good work there. They did some good things. And now we come down to verse uh, Acts 16. And Paul's kind of got it in his mind that he's going to go, um, you know, he's going to go over into Asia and do some things. But the Bible says, um, verse 7, if you would, it says, And after they were come to Mycenae, they assuaged them to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mycenae, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And now hopefully you understand the day and age in which that was and where that belongs. But look at what he says. He says, There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And that's become a very famous passage, and especially in light of foreign missions, to go to the world and take them with the gospel. It's called the Macedonian call is what we call it. And if you've ever heard the song, Send the Light, it's a common old hymn. And there's a verse in that song that says, We've heard the Macedonian call. That's what he's referring to. But if you look at the wording there, it says in verse 9, Come over into Macedonia, and it says three more words, and help us. Help doesn't mean do everything for them. It means to assist. And so what we're going to show you in just a minute is there's, there's, there's a calling that God has given us. And then afterwards, I'll tell you a little bit more about it. God has given us a calling to not go to Papua New Guinea and do everything for them. But there's some, already some folks there trying to labor. But God has given us the call to go help them and further increase the work that's being done there. Uh, if you read about how Paul, if you, we won't look at the rest of the chapter, but Paul, when he gets down to Acts 16, I don't even know that there's a record that he meets a man outside the Philippian jailer when he gets down there. There's a man telling him, come help us, but he meets some women at a prayer meeting. He gets thrown in jail. He really, really doesn't go the way you would think it would go. But that's what God wanted him to do. And God sent him to a place to assist some folks that we're trying to do right in that area already. And so that's our ministry. Uh, God's called us to Papua New Guinea. Uh, if you don't know where that is, we'll show you in just a minute where it is. But Papua New Guinea to help some folks that are, that are really they're asking us and begging us. They're trying to serve the Lord there and just need some help. Uh, so the first half of the video will tell you, we'll start it in just a second. First half of the video will tell you who we are and what we've been, what the Lord has allowed us to do up until this point. It's only by His grace that we get a chance to serve Him anyway. Uh, it's, it, the Bible says in, in 1 Thessalonians 2, we are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. The fact that we can do anything for God is an honor. It's a privilege. It's amazing is what it is. And so I don't want you to think we're boasting in what we've done. I want you to see that this is the things that God has allowed us to do. And then the second half of the video is what God has called us to do in the island of New Guinea. And then I'll tell you a little bit more about it after that. All right? There we go. Hello. We're the Sermag family, missionaries to Papua New Guinea. Let's take a few minutes to introduce ourselves and tell you about the work that God has called us to do in the island of Papua New Guinea. Isaiah. He's four years old. And I'm Sister Sheila. 
Papua New Guinea is located in the South Pacific Ocean, right off the northeast coast of Australia. When we get to Papua New Guinea, we'll be living in Mount Hagen, a city in the center of the highlands. Us kids have never been to Papua New Guinea, but we are very excited to be moving here. Our parents have told us lots of things about Papua New Guinea that sound very fun. I can't wait to move there. I was raised in a Christian home to Bible-believing parents that taught me and my siblings to love the Word of God from a very young age. But it wasn't until I was 15 that I truly saw myself as the sinner that I was and called upon the Lord to save me. When I was 18 years old, the Lord opened up a wonderful opportunity for me to enroll in the Beaufort Bible Institute at our local church. It was in this place that I learned how to study the Word of God and how to teach it to others as well as to apply it to my personal life. Shortly after I was saved, at the age of 14, my dad and I were able to take a mission trip to Papua New Guinea. While there, we were able to help the Fair family build their home. We also helped to build a church building for the Nationals in Kauai. I even got to go back to Papua New Guinea with Wayne and Sue Fair when I was 18. Shortly after my wife and I were married, I graduated from Beaufort Bible Institute, and immediately both her and I got busy helping in the local church in whichever way that we could. We participated in public ministry by street preaching and track distribution. We also participated in door-to-door -door ministries as well as helping with the maintenance around the building. The Lord also opened a door for us to organize a youth group for the young people in our church, as well as allowing me the opportunity to teach teen Sunday school on Sunday mornings. I was also able to help at Calvary by teaching a Sunday school class for the toddlers and a Wednesday night class where the young kids can learn Bible songs and have prayer time. In the summer of 2014, my pastor approached me about an opportunity to go to Brunswick, Georgia to help a local Bible-believing Baptist church in that area that was in need of a pastor. I agreed to go to check out the opportunity and when I came, I saw a group of people who were striving to learn God's Word and needed someone to help by pastoring them. We have labored in this place now for four and a half years, and it's been our joy to provide the church with not only Bible preaching and solid teaching, but to provide a place where people can come and be encouraged to be a gospel outreach in this area. The Lord provided many wonderful opportunities for us while we were here to reach this town and the surrounding areas with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were able to participate in public ministry, such as street preaching and track distribution at festivals and many parades. We were also able to be involved in door-to-door -door ministries, as well as nursing home ministries and volunteering at the homeless shelter by providing meals and preaching the gospel every Friday night. We also were given the wonderful opportunity of being on two different local radio stations every Sunday morning, providing Bible preaching and teaching in this area. Overall, the Lord greatly blessed by giving us wonderful chances to preach the gospel for Him and by providing biblical teaching to the members of this church on a weekly basis. We thank the Lord for the wonderful time we were able to spend here in Brunswick, Georgia, and the blessings that we were able to see come forth, not only in ourselves, but in the members of this church.
In October of 2018, my wife and I had the wonderful chance to go to Papua New Guinea for a two weeks missions trip. I enjoyed meeting the brethren there, as well as helping them with many of the outreach endeavors they're doing in that area. I also had a great opportunity to preach special meetings for some of the churches in Mount Hawley. It was during our time there that the Lord broke my heart and showed me a need for the brethren in that area. In 2017, the brethren in Papua New Guinea received the King James Bible in their own language. But sadly, many of them have not been taught the sound doctrine contained in the pages of that very Bible. What we realized when we were there on this trip is that many of the churches are suffering due to the attacks of false teachers, religions, and many cults that are coming in and leading so many brethren away. After returning home, the Lord continued to deal with my heart about the need for someone to go to Papua New Guinea and provide biblical training for those young men who would be going into the gospel ministry. After much prayer, counsel, and biblical examination, the Lord confirmed to my heart that he would have our family move to the city of Mount Hawley and establish a local Bible institute that would be a help to the churches there in training their young men in the gospel ministry. When I surrendered to this calling, I was unaware that many of the pastors in the Mount Hogan area had already been meeting together for almost two years, asking God to send someone to fulfill this exact need. It was a great blessing to us when on opposite ends of the globe, we realized that the Lord was answering their prayers by sending our family to the country of Papua New Guinea. Hi, my name is Kamalus Kumbi. I'm the pastor of Mount Hagen Baptist Temple. I've been a pastor since 1989. We have a great need in this country, especially for this church that I represent. I would like somebody to come and help me to start the Bible Institute. Because what I see, when we send uh, students to other schools, they kind of become, become followers of those schools. And uh, we would like to see some homegrown uh, missionaries and preachers going out of this uh, church. Therefore, I would like uh, somebody to come and help us. And Brother Kenny has put his hand up to want to come and help us. And I'm so much grateful. In fact, that's the answer prayer uh, to our prayers of wanting to see a Bible Institute started as soon as we can. And if we can have Brother Kenny come over and help us, we would be so much appreciative of that. I am Pastor Fred Gaho from Exodus Baptist Church, serving the Lord in this church for 20 years now. And having pastors preachers under me, we have a great need. The need is that we need someone who can come and teach the solid teachings of the Word of God, because uh, this is what the country needs. Uh, I do appreciate some of our missionaries came, did a great job, but we still have need, especially in the area of uh, solid teaching of the Word of God. And uh, that is our need, we have been praying, and uh, when Pastor Kenny and his wife came and preached for four nights, uh, I could see that that was a kind of teaching that we really wanted it. And uh, I believe if the Lord calls them to our country, that would be a big plus for us. We would love to have them come and help us teach the Word of God. Thank you so much. We are excited to be headed to Papua New Guinea 
provide a Bible institute for the young men in the Mount Morgan area so that they can be taught the Word of God and therefore go also into the highland region of New Guinea and reach their own people with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and plant indigenous, solid, Bible-believing churches. So, brethren, we ask that you consider partnering with us, both prayerfully and financially, that we might be able to go to Papua New Guinea and fulfill this great work that God has given us to do. Thank you, and God bless. All right, a few things. Um, Papua New Guinea. How many, have you ever heard of Papua New Guinea or been to Papua New Guinea or know somebody from Papua New Guinea? Okay. Heard of it. <laughs> right. We, most people think it's in Africa, but it's not. It's, there's some people there just like the Indians in America aren't from India. You know, it's the same way. Uh, they just have some guys had gone through Africa and seen some people that lived in Guinea, and then they went through there and said, hey, these people look the same. So that's, that's as simplistic as the Europeans messed it up. But, um, but a, little bit about, a little bit about some things. Um, Pastor Cumulus, the first guy in there that talked, he makes a statement, and he says that when our men go to these other schools, they become followers of these other schools. Now, I, I don't want you to be misconstrued on what that is. This is not a competition of a bunch of Baptists trying to start the best school over there, <laughs> as often takes place in the U.S. What he's referring to is down the street from his church, there's a Catholic seminary. And on the other, a little ways down, in fact, there's, there's false teachers that are all over the place. Seven-day Adventists are there and everything. And what we're seeing happen is men will get saved, and we praise the Lord for that. But those men very quickly become ineffectual to the gospel ministry because they are drawn away by these false teachings because they're searching for someone to teach them, if that makes sense. And there's a biblical principle in the Bible that we won't go through all the verses today. But the Bible says in Acts 13 that before Paul was sent out to mission work, there was prophets and teachers in that place. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2 that Paul said to Timothy, he said that he was to commit to faithful men that they may teach others also. There's a principle in the church of Jesus Christ that you are not just to give folks the gospel, though that's very important. It's of utmost importance. But beyond that, you're to give them solid grounding in this book so that the church can remain pure, so that the, so that the body of Christ can stay free from error and properly do its job here. The Bible says there's many false Christs and many false teachers. In fact, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light and his, and his angels into ministers of righteousness, and there's many deceivers. So what the church needs, which, which, which I don't think I'm preaching to people that don't know this, what the church needs is not just the gospel, though we need that to get into this thing. We need solid teaching through the Bible that helps us get grounded to guard us from error. The situation in Papua New Guinea is very simple. It goes like this. The town we live in wasn't a town, or we're going to live in, wasn't a town 100 years ago. Uh, long story short, if you're not aware, there was a couple big wars that happened. They covered the whole world. They were called World War I and World War II. <laughs> world War II, a lot of that was fought in those Indonesian area, that South Pacific area. A lot, of, a lot of Americans, Australians, Japanese were there fighting one another. In fact, the New Guineans call it the time when everybody came to our country to fight their war. So they call it, they didn't have a dog in the fight. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't know there was something beyond that water. But there they were. And so 
what the the way they discovered our area is they didn't really believe or know of anybody that lived in the interior. Now those people knew they were there, right? You know that's how Western explorers are. We discovered people. Well, they they knew they were there. <laughs> but anyway, they they these guys were. Uh, the stories conflicted whether they were flying into the interior because they were being reckless and disobeying orders, or because they were just trying to save time. But either way, they they ended a couple guys ended up crash landing right in those highlands. And when they crash landed there, a bunch of people showed up. A bunch of naked people with skulls and, you know, headhunters. <laughs> and they said, well, this is, this, we won't be flying through the middle again. The war ended. People went back. If you know how World War II ended, you're not speaking German or Japanese, so we won. And so they, they but they came back to Canada and they came back to America and they came back to Australia. And many soldiers said, there's people in there. And they knew the gospel. And so great mission work began in the late 50s and the 60s. Any of you have ever read, it, maybe you haven't, it's fine, but there's a famous book from that island called Peace Child. A man named John Richardson wrote that book. He also wrote another one called Lords of the Earth. It's a great read. I encourage you to read it. But he tells the story of how they went into these barbaric tribes back before New Papua New Guinea and West Papua were split. It was just kind of one island, and England owned some, and Australia owned some, and everybody owned some, you know. And, and they were all, anyway. And so he went to the Dutch, Dutch New Guinea is what they called it. And he tells the stories of how they went in here and there was headhunters and how they, they, some missionaries lost their lives and they went into cannibalistic tribes and dealt with witch doctors and just Satan there without a mask on, if that makes sense. And a great missionary work went in and the gospel went forward. In the late 70s and 80s, another push went through. The late 90s, early 2000s, another push went into Papua New Guinea. And what we see now is to the, such an extent that the Papua New Guinea Parliament came out, I don't know, 2016, 2017, and, and declared themselves to be a Christian nation. Now, what that means, before you get excited, it doesn't mean, it, it means anything that has Jesus on it. So now instead of battling headhunters and witch doctors, you battle those that teach false, that claim to be of us, that claim to be Christian, and they teach false gospels, they teach false things, and lead so many astray. But what you see, we call foreign missions, if you're not familiar with foreign missions, we call foreign missions, it's a three-step process, basically. And sometimes those three steps can be accomplished in the life of one man, sometimes it takes generations. And in Palm Beginning, it takes generations. The first step is to take them the gospel. That's number one. Anywhere you go, U.S., foreign mission, you take them the gospel. If you read the book of Acts, the gospel went into places People never heard. People never knew. The gospel, according to 1 Corinthians 15, is how Jesus Christ died. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And by faith, you believe that thing, nothing else. Right? Adding nothing, taking away nothing. That's the gospel. And it's miraculous what that gospel will do to men's lives and women's lives and communities' lives and nations' lives when they'll just submit and believe that thing. That's the first step of missions. Often that's the step that's focused on the most. Let's take the world the gospel. Let's take the heathen the gospel. Great. But the second step is same as it is here. When people accept Jesus Christ, when they get born again, when they get saved, whatever terminology you want to use for it, those are all biblical terminologies. When those folks get together, Acts 20 says that what forms is what's known as a church. Saved born-again believers in an area or a geographical location then begin to meet together for the purpose of, like you're studying if you go to Sunday school in Ephesians, for the edifying of the saints, for the work of the ministry, so the gospel can go forward in your community, so that you can grow, so you can get strengthened, that's the next step. That's the next step of ministry. A church is formed. That church is then to perform the first step, 
and keep reproducing. But there's a third step. And the third step of missions is not just to get folks saved and to plant a church, but it's then to take those within that church, and I touched on this already a little bit, and to train men that can go out and reproduce that. And if you've got folks that, that, are, that are saved and they're meeting together and talking about their salvation, that's a good thing, but, but there's plenty of scriptures that tells you to grow in grace and in knowledge, to learn your Bibles, to learn. That's why you, your pastor encourages you to read that thing and study is what your Bible commands you to do so that you can grow in this thing and learn this thing. And, and yet if you, if you have the gospel, that would be enough to get you to heaven. But if that's all you would have, it would never help anyone but you, if that makes sense. So the third step of ministry, the third step of missions, is to take that which you've received and to commit it to others that they can be rooted and grounded in it. And when they're rooted and grounded in it, then they can be effectual to others. They can stand against the attacks of the false and the, and the lies, and they can be a help to those that really need it. Does that make sense? Papua New Guinea saw the gospel come in. 50% of the country is still yet unreached, but the major cities have heard the gospel. And the major cities have Baptist churches. The major cities have men in there that, that are saved and women in them that are saved, and they want to reach their areas. We've seen churches come up. We've seen if you go out into the bush, which the bush is not like, oh, how are the roads? The question is, are there roads most times, <laughs> right? Sometimes you've got to hike six, seven hours to get to a town, and you say, why isn't there a road? Because nobody owns cars out there, and they don't, <laughs> why would you put in a road? They've got a footpath, learn how to walk it. That's how those people are. You can go to one mountain, it's one language, it's one tribe, it's one dialect. You go to the next mountain, you'll have to learn a whole new language, a whole new group. Of, that's why we sang that song in Pigeon. They've kind of developed this universal language. This is really helpful. But these people on this mountain hate these people on this mountain. They don't know why. <laughs> but it's like the Hatfields and McCoys. And, and if you look at New Guinea, the people on the coast, they're kind of laid back coastal people. But the people up in the mountains, they're like any mountain people. <laughs> they're, they're fighting, feuding, and fussing with each other all the time. It's a mountain thing. The Irish do it. The West Virginia people do it. There's mountains out here. I'm sure people out here do it. Mountains breed restlessness and, and fighting and feuding. But if you take folks like that and they get saved, that's still in their blood. But, man, if you direct them to who the proper enemy is and what the proper cause is, you can do something with folks like that. So where we're at now in Papua New Guinea, as you heard some pastors already say, their desire is to take that and, and not keep seeing missions come from this part of the world but for them to do it. That's what they want. And that's the goal. The goal for foreign missions or even ministry anywhere is to work yourself out of a job. That's the goal. You know, you send a man overseas and he does a great mission work and he comes back and if he comes back and that thing dies when he leaves, then the thing hasn't fully been accomplished. Whether he ran out of time or he didn't do the job, whatever. But we've got to go over there and you've got to train folks and then step back so they can do it. Does that make sense? Papua New Guinea's in that place right now. Many missionaries that went in the late 90s are back because they age. You get so much older, so much quicker over there, and you're hiking mountains, and you're doing all sorts of stuff, and it's rough. And medical assistance is in there. So those guys came back. What those guys left them was a solid copy of scriptures in their language. Now, you can argue about perfection. You can argue about all that stuff. All I know is they got something, and they got something that's pretty decent from what I can understand. And those men are asking what that man asked in Acts 16, come and help us. They want to reach their people. They, want to, they don't want to see more Americans coming over. They want to go reach their own people. And who's better equipped for it? A guy who's lived in air conditioning and fast food his whole life? Or a guy who grew up on those mountains? And a guy who can breathe that air and understands their culture? It's just, it's just a no-brainer. 
And so in the city of Mount Hogan, between the five churches that are there and the solid churches that are there, there are, there are about a 40 to 50 men, we estimate, that believe that God has called them to do something beyond, beyond just, just serving in their church. They believe God has called them to be a missionary to their own people, to pastor churches, to do something. And I'm not so foolish to say all 50 will be, but, but we can weed out the sincere from those that aren't sincere. But there's 50 men sitting there that want to do something. Since we announced this about an hour outside of the city of Mount Hogan, there's a little area called Nebula. Nebula, if you, you, you've never heard of it, because I'd never heard of it either. But Nebula, if, if you look it up, there's been for about the last 20 years, there's just been fighting in Nebula nonstop, on and off, on and off, over coffee. Who owns, who's going to own the coffee plantation? And so what will happen is all the workers on the coffee plantation will get mad and they'll go on strike, which means they'll burn down a bunch of stuff. And then they go away. So then that guy loses his workers, and then they negotiate, so they'll come back, and then they start seeing that guy make more money than them, and then they leave again. It's a whole process. Well, that, that, there's a man that's been a pastor in that area named Pastor Philemon. He's named after the guy in your Bible, Philemon. They just say it, Philemon. And he's been faithful in that place for over 20 years. And he's got a good little church there to the point where they've threatened to run him out of town. Missionaries have left and fled, and he hasn't left. He's a national man there. And what he said was, between him and a few other pastors that are within his close proximity, they have about 20 men in those churches that want to. Men who have been through some stuff their whole life have lived in a, in a rough environment. And their whole life have suffered persecution, all sorts of things, that want to go out and reach their people with the gospel. Men that if we told the tales, and I don't know if time will permit, we'll see, but if we told some of the tales, we would sit back and go, I've never been through something like that. Who are ready to serve our Savior. What they need is for someone to go over there and ground them in this book so they do it correctly. Does that make sense? Uh, one, one last thing. Well, I say one last thing. One last thing before I go to my other last thing. Um, <laughs> the missionary that my wife went and spent some time with there, Brother Wayne Fair. Wayne Fair went in the early 90s. Wayne Fair's last term as a missionary there will be our first term as a missionary there. Wayne Fair's pushing 70, and like I said, hit, hit <coughs> Excuse me. You get older quicker there. Wayne Fair's health is bad. His wife's health is bad. And he's coming back. But he started a little work up in a little town called Kaboom, kind of in the northern area up there. It's called Kaboom because the Japanese used to store a bunch of ammunition there back during the war. Kaboom. True story. He sent a man up there, a young national man, who, who knows a little bit of English, was able to study a little bit of his Bible, best he could, but but still really struggling. Went up there and the Lord blew that thing open. That man went to a town who, and I won't give you all the details for sake of time, but that man went up to a town who didn't want him there. A very, very strong, staunch Lutheran town. The Germans had come into that area in the 1800s. Very strong. And to the point where his kids were sick, his wife was sick, they wouldn't give him medicine, almost lost his family. Very, very interesting, heartbreaking story. But the man stood fast. His little ch his church building is probably as wide as this, maybe two or three rows further back, and that's it. Little small bush church, and they'll pack it. They'll pack it out. Out of that church, he's got five little church plants going, and he's probably got about 25 men in his church that feel God wants them to go do something but need to be trained. Pastor John made a call to me directly, so my wife had to translate because, as you can see, I don't know the language as well yet. And he said, would you come? 
We've already built a room behind our church. We've already built a place for someone to stay. Come help me teach these men. There's more, all I'm trying to communicate to you this morning, there's more work there to do than we could ever do. There's a great and effectual door opened unto us. I'll give you this story. I, I think I'm supposed to be done in two minutes, so I'll take two and a half and tell you this. Um, there's, there was a man there when I was there. Uh, I was preaching that meeting in the city of Mount Hagen just to give you a taste of the character of men that are waiting for us to arrive. Okay, Not that we're anything special, but they've been praying, and God put it on our heart, and so we're, we're just trusting him. First Corinthians 1 says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So I qualify, in case you're worried about it. Okay? <laughs> but uh, very, very quick, let me tell you this. There's a man, when I was, I was preaching a meeting there for the second pastor, Pastor Freddie, and it was, it was good. The, the, the church probably had four rows, and it could fit a hundred, but they all just sat on the floor. They didn't care, and half the rows were empty. That's just the way they are. It hiked three or four hours to come hear the fat white American preach. It's just the way they are. And, and I thought this guy was a good preacher. Then I figured out, no, I'm just the novelty from America. <laughs> but as you're preaching, you saw, I saw one man sort of halfway back that was really, really attentive. You could tell when people are waiting for you to get done or when, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? You think you're hiding it well. You're not hiding it well. So, but, but this man, man, he was intent. I mean, he was intent, and he, he was just sucking it up. And so the second night, I had noticed him there again, and I said to the missionary translator, a good friend of mine, I said, what's that man's story? He said, you have to ask him. Uh, I, he goes, I want him to tell you. I said, well, you have to come translate. So, <laughs> you know. so we went back there, and a man began to tell me a story, and, and I'll try to be brief with it, but that man got saved, got born again, walking down the street, of the city of Mount Hagen one day. He works in Mount Hagen. He's not from Mount Hagen, but he works there as a fuel, fuel works on fuel pumps. And he was walking down the street and someone gave him a gospel track, very similar to the ones you have back here. Those things work. Someone gave him a gospel track. He read that thing. He said, man, that's the first thing I've ever read that makes sense. God, forgiveness, makes sense. So he trusted it. We don't know who gave him that track. It's to this day. He doesn't, but he got it. Praise the Lord. And then got saved, and he got a burden, which is a natural burden, to go home and tell his family the gospel of Jesus Christ. His wife had gotten saved and those things. But he wanted to tell his family, his tribe, those people. And, and he's from an area about, I don't know, three or four hours south of there called Karama. So he loaded up, took a week off work, loaded up the whole family, drove down to Karama. He doesn't, he'd never taken a soul winning course. He'd never done all those things that we think are necessary. He didn't graduate from school. He just wanted to go tell people what happened to him, right? If you look at the book of Acts, that's what all people really did. Paul the Apostle three or four times just told people what happened to him, and it seemed to work. Anyway, he said, I'm going to go down there. And so he went into the market where everybody was, and he didn't, he didn't know what you're supposed to do and not do. But he stood up on a table and he yelled, hey, everybody, listen to me. So what do you do? <laughs> you listen to the guy standing on the table yelling. Got nothing else to do with your time. And so the guy starts to, Mapua is his name. Mapua begins to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ the best he knows it. And then, and, and if any of you, if you're born again, you know how that first, when you first got saved, you, everything was wrong and nothing was right except Jesus, right? We kind of let things creep back in our lives. And so he was, he was up there, man, he was just against everything. Well, his mother-in-law shows up. So that's a good part of the story. Here we go, right? The story's getting good. His mother-in-law shows up. Now, his mother-in-law is a charismatic pastor in that town. So we're, we're having a fun story now. And, and so she comes up. She sees him there. He's not only, like, preaching a different gospel than her. She's he's making, he's making the family look bad. 
And so she goes to the mayor of the town, who's a deacon in her church. This is getting better. She says to him, you've got to make that guy stop. He says, I can't make him stop. He goes, I really want him to stop. I'd love for him to stop because he's really, this is, I don't like this stuff. But we told the world we're a Christian nation. So I'll have my head on a, on a platter if I tell him, if they find out I threw a preacher in jail, no matter what religion he is. He said, come back with a better reason, and I'll throw him in jail in a heartbeat. So she came back a few hours later, and she says, here's what I came up with. He beats my daughter and my grandchildren. No, it wasn't true. It was a lie. It was a lie. If you look in the back of that card you got, that's me and my wife are standing there with him with the green background. That's his family. Good guy. Great guy. He, he, one of the most family guys you ever meet in that country. So he gets thrown in jail. Jail, they're very different than jail in America. Jails there are 12 by 12 cell. They throw about six to eight guys in that room. There's a hole in the corner, and that's it. And hopefully you know what the hole in the corner is for. Okay? That's it. They let them out for one hour a day. They put a bag of rice in the courtyard. They say, cook your food, get your exercise, and get back in. You get one meal a day, that's it. The return rate's lower than here. Okay? <laughs> okay? Mapu gets thrown in there for three days. He starts feeling bad for himself, of course. But he said about that second day, he began to realize something. And he's telling me this from his own mouth. He says, I realized that those people in that jail couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> and then I realized they couldn't lock me up if I started preaching in here. So he did. He just started telling them folks in the cell of the gospel, three of them, according to Mapua, got born again. So his wife comes in there and straightens out the story and says, no, he doesn't beat us. My mother, my mother is a liar. And, and she stood by her husband, praise the Lord. And they went back home to, to Mount Hagen. I heard that story and I said, man, that's incredible. He's one of the men that's waiting on us to get there. After I came back to the States, and I'll close you with this. After I came back to the States, Mapua uh, was, was with a friend of a missionary friend of mine. The missionary called me and he said, hey, he said, uh, Mapua is with me today. I said, oh, tell Mapua. I said, hi. He goes, well, he had some bad news today. And he had some good news. I said, what's the bad news? He goes, well, his grandfather died this week. He wasn't saved. He wasn't a Christian. That's all that's horrible. He goes, his father died within a few days of that. Wasn't a Christian. I said, that's horrible. I said, what's the good news? You've got to follow that up with something. He goes, they left him a huge inheritance. The inheritance isn't money. It's a big chunk of land in that town that locked him up. <laughs> Mapua said, he said through, through Eric, the translator, he said, I'm going to build a church on that piece of dirt. And we're going to reach that town with the gospel. And I said to him, I said, wow. I said, praise the Lord. I hope when I get there, when I get all my money raised and I can finally get there, that, uh, that I'll come see your church. And he goes, no, you won't. <laughs> okay, well, never mind. <laughs> no, no, he said, here's. He goes, I've already been down there. And if that's the opposition that I'm going to get down there, I need to be properly trained before I go. He said, so I'm going to stay here in Mount Hagen and work my job and stay faithful in my church. And when you get here, you can help me. And then we'll go down there together, and we'll start something. And I said, okay. So that kind of makes you want to get on the next flight out. So the way this works uh, is, is, is Papua New Guinea's government, just so you know, Papua New Guinea's government says you cannot come in for more than two months at a time, which would be very expensive. In order to get a permanent visa of sorts to do mission work, you have to prove to them you have financial backing of your own so that you can't come take their jobs. Because, I don't know, I guess I'd want to come dig their sweet potatoes for them. I don't know. <laughs> but they don't, they, that's their rule. So really, brethren, the only reason we're not already there 
is so that we can, we're, we're just, and I'm not trying to make it all about money this morning, I haven't to this point, is we're trying to go to churches and individuals and get them to partner with us in order to get a, an income to get over there. And the income's not very high, but it's enough to appease the government so that we can get into that place and help those people. So brethren, our, our brethren, if you're saved, these are your brethren over there. And they're asking us to go. And we're willing to go. William Carey, the father of, of modern missions, he said there's a great gold mine. He's speaking of India, but I'll apply it to New Guinea. He says there's a great gold mine. He said, and I'll go down in that basket into that mine if you hold the ropes. And so we're just looking for folks to hold some ropes because we'll go down in the basket and help them. Amen. Pastor, thank you for the time, and thank you all for letting us come. We really enjoyed it.